0: Ionosphere-Keters, which are what these were previously called, um, actually originated in the former Soviet Union. People remember them uh, from the 1970s when they created what was called the woodpecker signal, and it was exactly as it sounded. Um, It was this weird static that was rhythmic and coherent, man-made. Ham operators picked it up all over the world, and because they could triangulate where it was coming from, they isolated the location of these five transmitters. Transmitters in in Russia or the former Soviet Union, and those transmitters were associated with health effects in Oregon, power failures in central Canada, and a number of other anomalous uh, phenomena in the 1970s. Um, and those were the predecessors of Harp. Um, it's the very same technology with a modern twist. The old transmitters would take 15 minutes to reset the frequency because you had to readjust all these antenna now, with HARP, it's done in milliseconds by adjusting the software. So, very efficient. You can change things. You can cause them to do different things. It's not a big project in terms of reset. And it's a small expenditure. I mean, HARP, they've spent $100 million on, which in military terms is like cab fare. You know, it's like the... It's, it's not even cab fare. It's the, it's the uh, snowflake in the pile of snow out front you know, that we walk through. Uh, In the course of all this. But when you look at the impact of each of these technologies that we've touched on today, uh, it's not the same game anymore. These are earth-shaking technologies, the very technologies that will either transform or enslave. Most um, science, at least in the US, is developed, most of the high science, anyway, is developed through military research labs, military contracts, and some contracts to the National Science Foundation. But all of the military work, um, and much of the work done by the uh, National Science Foundation and others are, represent compartmentalization, separation of the sciences in small bits and pieces. So basically, one side doesn't know what the other is doing. In fact, the first uh, paper I ever presented uh... at nineteen was on the contrasting sort of our approach of compartmentalization uh... in our approach to science and the russian approach the soviet approach at that time which was to use generalists take people from all disciplines integrate them into the same room so that you could develop the higher ordered thinking because then you brought all of these various disciplines even when they didn't seem to fit you brought them together and they tended to feed off of each other in a way that built better and more co- comprehensive science. In fact, as it relates to electromagnetic exposures, the science developed in the Soviet Union said, and they set the regulations, not that they enforced them, but they at least had them on the books, they were a thousand times more stringent than the US standards in the same areas because of that integrated approach. When you look at the productive capacity of the USSR during the Cold War, they couldn't produce their way you know, into an outhouse. Uh, it was a mess but what they could do is compete on science and the way they competed on uh, science with us and were able to not only excel in some areas surpass us in others and stay up with us in most was by integrated science as opposed to compartmentalization it's cheaper it's more efficient and it yields usually better results on the US side we do the opposite we continue that model of compartmentalization to the detriment of really good science and at a huge huge economic cost um, the duplication within that system, the cost of man-hours within that system, and the waste that's created in that system. Now, what does that all mean in the broader context of, of global science? You know, the, the U.S. spends in a regular defense budget somewhere around $700 billion a year, which is a big number. Uh, you know, we've got a couple wars going on on top of that. The Chinese spend about 70, 80 billion is what our intelligence uh, tells us, uh, at least that's what's publicly released. When you run inefficient science, and the Chinese don't run inefficient chi- science, they steal everything they can that's already been developed and then take it from there. And they do it at, uh, at rice bowl wages. You know, they're not paying top flight scientists quarter million, half a million a year in salary and benefits. And uh, they're not paying Davis-Bacon wage rates to build ships. Uh, They're building them for a bowl of rice. And what you get in China for 70 billion is what you get in the U.S. for probably far in excess of what we actually spend because you can't measure it in, in, in dollars or currencies. You have to measure it in productive output. And what the Chinese are doing with their productive output is making sure that they can move millions of men and women in their armed services anywhere they want to put them on the planet. (laughs) That's what's going on there. For every ship they build, we think about it (laughs) because they actually build hardware uh, and they build it uh, faster than virtually anyone on the planet, and it's it's causing a a lot of concern. Because when you start to think about um, how does all this play into the the geopolitics of the planet, climate change, and energy, and the issues we've been talking about the last couple days, they really do fit together. You know, China is moving to energy independence. At the, they're building a, uh, a cold liquids plant every 18 months from start to finish they have so many planned online their objective is is to be free of the West in terms of contributions to basic natural resources And what are they doing with all the trillions of debt US debt that they're collecting what are they doing with all the dollars that they're collecting they're going around the world they're outbidding Western companies by outbidding us on mining opportunities, the venture capital opportunities, the rare earths and mineral opportunities, and all those plays all over the world. They're outbidding everyone. And why are they doing it? Why would you want to hold a bunch of US paper right now that you know is going to be dropping in value? You're better off buying the commodities. You know when the market fell apart and copper hit thirty, $1.30, thirty a pound, which was the lowest it had been in years, the Chinese bought more then than they ever bought in their history, and they bought it all the way up till it blew through. The old record price by 10% while well, the economy is still in the toilet in the U.S. and Europe, and commodity prices are breaking through the roof. And all those investments those Chinese made with all those cheap uh, U.S. dollars, well, they still had a little bit of value, and we all thought they were nuts for paying 10 20% more than the market said those assets were worth. What a deal they made. On all those commodities, not just what was already finished. And what does it mean, just copper alone? There's eight days worth of copper in warehouses in the world to fulfill eight days worth of global demand right now, today. That's how underproducing we are in that specific commodity. Zinc, nickel are in similar situations where there's very limited supplies on hand. Rare earths, it's even worse, and all of those are controlled by China. When you start to think about earth-penetrating tomography as a technology for locating underground mineral resources as an example oil and gas resources some of that technology was tested and it was tested um, in over 20 states on a number of wells that were drilled by Halliburton back uh, back in the 80s and and into the 90s and what they looked at was using a very simple method of earth-penetrating tomography they were able to look and with with absolute ninety nine point nine percent accuracy grade and quantity and quality of oil and gas layers through the earth matching up perfectly against actual drill logs from they physically drilled those wells using this type of technology now imagine and remember what we were talking about earlier about the public owns energy resources in most instances in alaska in all instances are publicly owned but if you could, with certainty, image the underground geologic structures and know exactly where oil and gas is, now you no longer have risk associated with the drilling activity, which is why everyone says you know, we ought not to be in the energy business. But when you can define where those deposits are, then you can maximize or optimize what you get on the lease because now everyone has good information. People want to bid on that lease competitively. You're going to optimize the public's return on those resources. So using our technology for doing some things maybe makes a lot of sense, but there's lots of ways to do earth-penetrating tomography and identify those mineral resources, oil and gas resources. HARP is one of those technologies that perhaps we could use in this way. When Skylab launched the first time, we realized that uh, back in the 70s, we realized that it created a, a hole in the ozone layer. And everybody watched it, you know, and they said, oh, after a few hours, it all filled in and everything went back to normal. But think about this now. I mean, think about it as a practical matter. The Earth is turning, you make a hole, everything's moving, eventually it gets filled in, or it appears to get filled in. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. Think about um, if I dip a cup of water out of a pond you know and all the water levels back out did it fill back up well if I keep dipping those cups of water out of that pond eventually there is no pond um, but it sure looks flat and level just a couple dipped out so what was it you know I thought Skylab creates an ozone hole how many billions of cans of aerosol would have had to get up there and it didn't start down here you know it started up there where you actually delivered particulate material to the place that you're trying to affect and created a chemical reaction three thousand satellite and rocket launches over three thousand worldwide did more for the ozone depletion on the planet i assure you than all the air spray that everybody (laughs) ever discharged Uh, and again nobody takes any responsibility blame it on the guy with the with the aerosol can well, governments stand back and go, we didn't do anything here. Uh, this is the problem and the arrogance of it all. And often it's the case where the other guy is blamed uh, for something that our own government has done. In fact, if you look at environmental issues generally, you know virtually all the Superfund sites, uh, 90% of them, are government sites <laughs> where the government made the mess. Uh, and then the rest of us get to clean it up. Uh, now we're experimenting with science That's much, much different than leaving a mess in some local location on the ground. We're manipulating the entire geophysical systems of the planet and trying to learn how to do it better, how to to dial it up a little more efficiently, how to control those outcomes with a more precision and a more higher resolution as our science advances. We've written um, the, the book, Controlling the Human Mind, and and, and we wrote uh, and produced the video uh, Mind Control, which Alex has, has carried for years. And, and I always consider that the most important work. Um, even when you associate some of the mind effects, things with HARP, they're big and they're important. But as we got more into that subject, it became, uh, for me, the most compelling and important work that we've published. Uh, Because the idea of interfering with human consciousness, this idea of being able to interfere with free will, if you will, (laughs) something that even God will not do in most religious traditions, interfere with free will, is now within the capability of man. Should man do it? I say absolutely not. Again, thinking about personal liberty and personal freedom, the basic premise of the First Amendment to the Constitution, the right of free speech, the right of assembly, um, the right of uh, free expression of religion, all of those presuppose a fundamental right, the freedom to think. That's the First Amendment because it presupposes all of that. Without the freedom to think, none of the other liberties matter at all. Um, and this is the century that we're in. The CIA um, actually the work in this goes before the CIA. You go back to the work at Harvard, um, work being done at the hypnotherapy labs at Harvard in the 1920s by a guy named Estabrook, and Estabrook uh, had this idea that you could create um, what we would call today the Manchurian candidate. You know, some super spy that would be pre-programmed to do destruction or gather intelligence, and if captured, would have absolutely no knowledge of any of it. Well, he started this work in the 20s. By the 1930s, his work was classified. By the 1960s, the material he had published, he acknowledged that he created these super spies, that he spent nine to ten months, and one out of five people were subject to this level of uh, of programming, where he would subject them to nine to ten months of programming, where he literally split the personality into two separate human beings within the same body, programming one to be the super spy where they could function in another country without detection and if captured, would have no memory of their true self. And yet when they returned to the United States, this altered consciousness could be re-triggered to remember everything they collected in the foreign country and their true self. The problem is, you can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Once you fracture a human being in this way, you've effectively destroyed them forever. He believed this was a good idea and he and he advanced this technology in the same material that he published advancing the idea that using LSD to alter people's consciousness for mind control experiments was legitimized and reasonable and a good thing that's what he wrote in his published work at the same time the Central Intelligence Agency later was revealed to be experimenting with LSD on 8,000 men and women in the armed services alone not to mention the civilian sector This came out in a congressional report uh, that was on activities uh, within the CIA right after uh, Watergate.